0: coming to you from the great state of Maryland on a gorgeous November day. It's great to be with you. Appreciate Josh Young inviting me to share from the scriptures today. Uh, The passage that I am going to be uh, referring to, and I hope you will feel free to turn in your Bibles to, is found in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 11, the last three verses. Before we look at them, Let me pray. Father, thank you for your word, and we thank you, Lord Jesus, for your example and all that we can learn from you as recorded in your word. We pray that you'd open our eyes today to see you with greater clarity, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This is a familiar passage. Many who are going to watch this will recognize it immediately and realize you have some acquaintance with it. Let me read it from the New American Standard Bible, Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my load is light. Even as I read those verses, I realize how uh, calming they are, what a balmy effect they have. They are just very gracious words from the lips of our Lord. They reassure us. They draw us into him. Uh, No words of condemnation here, apparently. Just uh, letting us know of his dear affection for us and desire that we allow him to meet our needs what an incredible thought that is well jesus is the hero in this passage as he is throughout the gospels basically that is he's the protagonist of his own story he propels the plot forward we look to him we try to take our cues from him to try to see what it is that he is doing and saying and what the impact is on his audience, who his audience even is, and what it should mean for us. Now, when we come to this passage, Matthew 11, the last three verses, I'm sure we realize that we're in the middle of a story. Something's going on. Jesus is doing things, and Matthew, as he records the events uh, from the life of Jesus that he has decided to record. He does so in the order that he thinks is most appropriate to convey the message, which means that we not only look at these three verses but we look around them to see what has been going on. That can be a small thing, just look a couple verses back, or it can be a big thing. How does Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 to 30 fit in the context of the entire Gospel of Matthew? Well, that's too big a question to answer today, for sure. But I say that because I wanna encourage you to think about what is going on in Matthew and what uh, Matthew is trying to communicate about Jesus and about his life and his ministry and how he interacted with people, how he conducted himself. What are his emotions? What moves Jesus? In Matthew, what underlying currents are there? Now, that's a tricky thing, isn't it? Because even when we read novels or watch movies, we are uh, trying to intuit what the protagonist or hero is really thinking. What drives this person? We don't always see it laid out boldly. Sometimes it's very subtle. And in many cases, the hero of a story has an agenda, as does Jesus. He's on a mission. And his mission is complex because of the people to whom he's coming. And one of the key elements in Jesus' ministry as he comes to people is the opposition that faces him. Now I want to suggest an idea to you here. That when we arrive at Matthew 11:28 to 30, uh, there is an ambiance of comfort, serenity, peacefulness, encouragement. It's inviting. But I also want to suggest that you think of what might be going on beneath the surface with Jesus. What's driving him? And my thinking is this I'm going to kind of let you know, I'm going to show my hand up front is that I think Jesus' ministry generally works on two levels, at least. Uh, the one level is the level that we see in verses 28, 29, and 30. That's kind of a like a surface thing that is there, and especially for the audience that he's addressing. Uh, and it seems as if he is giving a general address, not to religious leaders, not to... Even uh, the cities of verse 20, he began to reproach the cities. If you look back earlier in the chapter, verses 2 to 6, he's addressing the disciples of John. Then in verse 7 and following, he's addressing the multitudes, down to verse 19. And then verses 20 to 24, he's addressing the cities. And finally, we have verses 25 to 27, where he addresses his father. So these conversations are taking place. Those are the things that we see on the surface. But beneath the surface, you know, you have this upper level that I said, but down beneath the surface, what is going on? I want to suggest to you this that Jesus, as he operates on this upper level of bringing encouragement to the masses and giving them teaching and direction, comfort, encouragement, inviting them, as he operates on that level, he's also got another level that's at work, which is down deep beneath the surface. And in that deeper level, there is a seething anger a seething anger as he looks around him and sees the damage that has been done to the Torah, God's law, his father's word. The damage that has been done by unscrupulous religious leaders who have held the common people in bondage. That doesn't always come out, but it's always there. And we know it's always there because it does come out. And Jesus is very wise in how he lets this seething anger surface. And uh, that's an important element in the story of Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30. These three verses obviously can't stand alone. They're in a context. So let's think about that for a moment. Uh, we have then an audience to, to which he is speaking I've already gone over that, verses 1 to 6, the disciples of John. Verses 7 to 19, the multitudes. Verses 20 to 24, cities, basically cities that don't believe. There's a lot of harsh words in all of this. Uh, The cities, he's reproaching them. He's upset with them because they would not repent. Repent verse 20. So there's some harsh words in there. Not all of it's harsh, but those words are harsh. But then we come to verses 25 to 27, where he speaks to his father. After he said all of that, and since the context begins in verse 1, it came about when Jesus had finished giving this uh, instructions to his disciples He departed from there to preach and teach in their cities. So that's the starting point. And it's at that time, we're told in verse 2, John was in prison and he sent his disciples to ask Jesus some questions. It's in that same context then that when those disciples get their answer and leave, that Jesus begins to talk to the multitudes about John the Baptist, explaining his ministry, why he was the way he was. When he's done talking about John the Baptist, then he begins in verses 20 to 24 to talk to the cities, which theoretically did not embrace John's message. And so there is a general lack of repentance. That lack of repentance goes all the way through the land of Israel, perhaps a response to John the Baptist. All of that brings us to verse 25. At that time... While all this is going on at that time, Jesus talks to his father. Verse 25, I praise you. I acknowledge to you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, you have hidden these things. Notice the two words, these things, which, which refer in some way to what has been going on in these other conversations about John's disciples and the multitudes and the cities and so forth. From the babes, and is from the uninitiated, uh, you, uh, or from the, excuse me, from the wise and the intelligent, you've hid these things. But you've let the kind of, the babes, the uh, supposedly uneducated ones, the ones that aren't quite as nuanced, you've let them understand these things. and he, And Jesus is very grateful to his father that the message that's contained in verses 1 to 24 is a message that's accessible to the masses. And that's pleasing to the Father, verse 26. Jesus acknowledges that the Father has also elevated him by handing over him to the the reins of, of the kingdom and the controls and the authority that is necessary to do the work that needs to be done. And so the son then is the one who is revealing these things to the babes, the uninitiated. That's his prayer. What does he do next? Very simple. He says, come. The first word of verse 28, come, a word of invitation. What a spectacular word. We can't skip over that. You know, it's only a four-letter word that we use all the time. Parents tell their children, come here. We excitedly might say, hey, come, take a look at this. I'm going to come to the party. I'm going to come to church or whatever it might be. We use this word and it's easy to take it for granted. But notice the warm invitation that's contained in this word, this imperative. Come. Come to me. Now, frankly, it can be bad to hear this word when I was a younger person much younger especially after church on Sundays my mother would say to my father David was not good in church and he needs a spanking and my dad was a pastor and he would just come home from pouring his heart out and all his hard work on Sunday mornings and he would go into his study and he would say David come here those were not words I wanted to hear I knew what they meant Or the principal would get on the PA system and say, would David Shive please come to the principal's office? I heard that too. I didn't like that. That didn't give me a warm feeling. But Jesus' words here are different. These words are significant. So significant. They're the words that were used back in chapter 4, verse 19, when Jesus called Peter, James, and John, and Andrew said, come. He didn't say it with a frown on his face. He had a smile. He had open arms. He's saying, come. I want you to come with me. You know how it is to be invited to something. Kind of like in chapter 22, in verse 4, when the invitation is extended to the wedding feast. Come to the wedding feast. Why, we love to be invited. Well, Jesus is inviting. He's not pushing people away. He's extending an invitation, much as he did in the book of Revelation, when the angel would say to John, come, come, come see the bride of the Lamb. Jesus is an inviting Lord, and he is not pushing you away if you are in this group of those who are not the initiated, you're uninitiated, you're you're not wise and intelligent, you're just a normal person who struggles with things and will fit the description of the people in verse 28, then you are the one that he's talking to. He's saying, come. What a warm invitation. And that's a great way to start this whole thing, that we understand that. You're somewhere else, you're not right here, but come on, come on, sidle up on next to me, follow me. Come here. That's he a follow them. Who are these uninitiated that he might be talking to? He calls them two things. He says that they are weary. And that word weary means they have worked hard there. They're worn out from hard work. It involves labor. They have been trying really, really hard, and it's just plain tuckered them out. The second thing that he says to describe them is that they are burdened, heavy laden. and So they've got a, a load they're trying to carry. You know, Just picture that. Picture an individual who is working so hard to do the right thing, to keep his head above water, to keep uh, herself in the game, and to function and to feel like uh, you're a person that is on the right track, making the most of things, and then to realize that you're just worn out. It's just exhausted you. And in addition to being exhausted, you realize you have this heavy load that you can't shake. Now, this is a person who can't measure up, really. They're not living with a sense of the thrill of victory. They're not living with a sense of success. They're living with the uh, reality that they are not making the grade. And that's the person Jesus is talking to. But think about that for a moment. Think of these two terms. This person who is laboring. Well, who might that be? What are they laboring from? Can we burrow down into that somehow and figure out uh, what they're laboring from? What is their labor? Let, Let me go through the rest of the verses and we'll come back to that question. Jesus says to you, you're just worn out, Carrying a heavy load, I want to give you rest. I will give you rest. You haven't been able to find it so far. Whoever you're trying to work for and please and keep happy is not happy and is relentless in continuing to frustrate you with more hard work and with heavy loads. Well, I want to give you rest, says Jesus. Come to me. In addition... He says in verse 28, second command of this passage, first one's come. The second is take up, take up. Same term uh, that Jesus used to take up our cross. Pick it up. Pick up what? My yoke, says Jesus. Pick up my yoke. And then he gives the la- the final of the three imperatives in this section. Come, take up, learn. Learn. And the word learn there is the word that, from which we get our word disciple. That is, be discipled. Uh, come under my tutelage. Come to me. Put my yoke on. Take it up. And learn from me. Why? Because I am gentle. And that word means to be unassuming to not be overly impressed with your credentials, with who you are. I'm unassuming. I'm gentle. I'm meek. As it says in the Beatitudes, blessed are the meek. Same word. I'm meek. I'm gentle. I'm unassuming. I'm not overly impressed with myself as a man, a Jewish man from Nazareth and Galilee. I'm just a, a gentle, unassuming person and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. Come, take up, learn, and you'll get rest. Those are the main ideas. Get those ideas clearly in your mind. Come, take up, learn, three imperatives. What happens when you do those three things? You will find rest. And then he concludes this section in verse 30, For my yoke is easy, that is, it's mild, it's pleasant, it's not onerous. It's not going to wear you out. You're not going to feel burdened by my yoke. And my load is light. All right, so let's try to figure out who these people are, because after all, we may need to apply this to our own lives in some way, and we should try to understand the context Who's Jesus looking at? Who's he talking to? And there's some key words in here that help us understand that. For instance, you'll notice in verse um, 28 that these people are loaded down. They have a heavy load. And this is a, a one key idea. There's about three or four ideas that help us to get a pathway into figuring out just who Jesus is concerned about. I'm looking at Matthew chapter 23 for just a second where Jesus is um, warning the disciples to be on their guard around the scribes and the Pharisees and he will proceed to launch into a really uh, strong diatribe against the religious leaders. And he says, uh, whatever they tell you to do, do it, but don't do according to their deeds Because they say things, but they don't do them. And, verse 4, they tie up heavy loads, heavy burdens. Notice that. They put heavy burdens, they ensnare with heavy burdens. They bind you with burdens that are heavy, with heavy loads. While I'm in this chapter, if we uh, went over to verse 23, and Jesus says to the Pharisees, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier, the heavier matters that are found in the law. There's that idea again, but it's a different kind of usage, isn't it? You notice in verse 4, they're putting heavy loads on people thinking that they are actually getting them to come under the yoke of the law but jesus says in verse 23 you're actually neglecting the things that are weightiest the most heavy things in the law you are neglecting which means that the burdens that you're putting on these people in verse 4 are really fluff they seem heavy they're just fluff There's real weighty stuff in the law, and you've missed the point to play around with this fluff. So when we read that they're heavy laden, we get this idea then that uh, this is exactly what the religious leaders would do, is they would put a heavy load on people. The second uh, idea that's here that I think is really uh, challenging is this um, term in verse 29, take my yoke upon you. Now, right away, let me dispel the idea that this yoke is the kind that we might see where two oxen are walking side by side. They're connected by this overarching wooden thing that holds them together. That is a yoke, but that's probably not the yoke Jesus has in mind because there's another kind of yoke that is worn by an individual farmer wanting to, say, carry two buckets of milk without sloshing them would put this yoke over his shoulders with ropes hanging down from the two sides, hook the buckets on, and then he could walk, free his arms and hands, not have to carry this heavy load with his hands, but he could, his, the weight would be on his shoulders. And that's the yoke. And it lightens the load. It makes it easier. The problem, of course, is that for the Pharisees, the yoke that they impose upon people is a heavy one. And we can see that. In a couple of places uh, let me refer you to uh, Acts chapter 15 you may recall in the first century the uh, the the Jewish leadership assembled in Jerusalem to try to figure out what in the law what requirements of the law they were going to impose upon new Gentile converts were they going to make them actually become Jews and submit to the whole law, even the right of circumcision? What were they going to do? Of course, Paul and Barnabas had been out on their first missions trip and doing uh, great things among the Gentiles. And there was a tremendous response. But the leadership, the Jewish leadership in Jerusalem, was nervous. So they assembled. And it was in this context that Peter, who was there, said to the leaders, Why would you want to play? and this is Acts 15, verse 10, why would you want to place upon the neck of the disciples a yoke which neither our fathers nor we have been able to carry? It's too heavy. We couldn't carry it. A yoke. What was that yoke? It was the yoke of the law. We see later on in verse um, 28 of that same chapter, when they summarized their decisions, they said it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay no greater burden upon you than these essentials. And they list a few things in verse 28. Notice, no greater burden. That's the idea that we have in Matthew 11:28. 28. People burdened down. And finally, let me refer you to one other passage, Galatians chapter 5 and verse 1, where Paul writes, in a context where he's trying to straighten out the thinking of Jewish and Gentile readership and to clarify the role of of, uh, the law in the life of the new convert. It's very similar to Acts 15, same time period, same context pretty much. And Paul says in Galatians 5, verse 1, "...for freedom you have been set free." Don't get snared again with a yoke of bondage. And there it's very clear that the yoke of bondage is the law itself. And so we have ample examples, and there's more, but I don't have time to go to, through all of them, that illustrate this idea that actually in amongst the rabbis and in the Old Testament commentaries of the Jews, the law was referred to as a yoke, but it was referred to as a good yoke. You know, yokes aren't bad inherently. The law was refer- alluded to as a good yoke because yokes can be good, and the law is a help, obviously. But in these passages, and in the experience of first century um, multitudes of people, the common people, under the leadership of the scribes and Pharisees and religious leaders the law had become a yoke that was unbearable and they were worn out worn out by trying to please God after all that's what happens the yoke is our pathway to God or excuse me the Torah the law of God is our pathway to God it's how we know God repeatedly in Psalm 119 the psalmist says how I love your law why because he learned so much about God from God's law. What have these Pharisees and religious leaders done except to pervert it to such a degree that it has become a not a light to guide one in their path and walking with God and walking in the ways of the Lord, but a burden that just plain wears you out. And so when Jesus says, come to me, you who are tired from your labors, worn out by the loads that you're carrying, I want to suggest to you that this in its broadest sense is a message directed to people who are weary of trying to please God, trying to keep his word. Jesus doesn't say, come and do this or that. He says, come to me, personal invitation. Take up my yoke, not that which the religious leaders dump upon you, and come under my tutelage. Now, it's interesting that in this context, we have, in a sense, a flow of thought that goes into chapter 12. I know we see chapter 12 and think, well, that's, that's something else. I'm not going to worry about that right now. But chapter division sometimes can really throw us for, in a wrong direction, and I think that's the case here. You'll notice in verse 25 Matthew says at that time Jesus answered Notice the first words of Matthew 12 verse 1 at that time same exact Greek expression And so the context continues and before I'm done I just want to point out what happens immediately after Jesus speaks in 11:28 to 30 at that time, Jesus and his disciples, right around the same time, he said, Come to me, all you who are worn out and overburdened with life, with the, uh, with the attempts that you're making to keep God's law and to please him. Come to me. At that same time, Jesus goes with his disciples, and it happens to be on the Sabbath. Notice in verses 1 to 14 of chapter 12, the term Sabbath occurs eight times. This whole section is about the Sabbath. A good gift. A rest. Sabbath rest. Remember that idea. And so on a day of rest, when you cease from your labors, the disciples are walking through the fields and they get hungry. What do you do when you get hungry? On the Sabbath you eat. It's okay to eat on the Sabbath. And they began to pick the heads of grain and to eat. The Pharisees saw this and said, look, your disciples are doing something that's not lawful on the Sabbath. And now we see a perfect illustration of exactly what the problem is. The disciples, hungry, are delighted that there's something that they can pick as they walk and eat. The disciples are ever quick, ever ready to snatch all the fun out of life by dumping the law of God and the burdens that can go with it upon unsuspecting believers don't you know that that's not lawful and Jesus responds I'm not going to go through all of the the dialogue here but he says basically verse 7 what you missed is that uh, I desire compassion and not sacrifice and you missed that point if you got that you wouldn't have condemned these innocent men for wanting to eat on the sabbath come on and then in verses 9 to 14, he left there and went into the synagogue. So he's gone from the green fields to the synagogue, their synagogue, and there's a man with a withered hand there. Now Jesus decides to anticipate their actions. And so he says uh, in verse 10, before anyone can do anything, he says to them, since it's the Sabbath now, remember, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And he won and and they are going to accuse him. Jesus anticipates this. He knows this is coming. I mean, how could it not be? Anybody could know that in reality after the experience in the green fields. And he said to them, Well, which one among you, if you have a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, won't he take hold of it and lift it out? Or How much more then is a man than a sheep? So it's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. He said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and he healed him. And the Pharisees went out and took counsel how they might destroy him. Why do they want to destroy him? For two reasons. He let his disciples eat food on the Sabbath and he healed a man on the Sabbath. Is that not outrageous? Does that not highlight the incredibly dysfunctional approach that these religious leaders had embraced and adopted towards the holy, wonderful, life-giving law of God. There's a message in here for us, isn't there? This message of verses 28 to 30. Jesus says, come to me. I got a whole new way of looking at things. I got a whole new perspective. I see everything differently. You've been under the thumb of people who miss it. They don't get it. I get it. I want you to get it, and you get it by coming to me, picking up my yoke so that you can be tutored by me, and I'll give you rest. That's what he's doing with his disciples in verses 1 through 8 of chapter 12, and that's what he's doing with this man with the withered hand, chapter 12, verses 9 to 14, and that's what he wants to do with each one of us as we come to him. If I'm speaking to you as one who is, burdened down you're tired of trying you, you, you you've worked so hard to be a good Christian and you feel like you're disappointing Jesus and you're just not making the grade. I want to encourage you today that you're the very person Jesus is interested in talking to you're the very person and he puts a smile on his face and extends his open arms and says come on come to me take my yoke come under my tutelage I'll give you rest. And Father, I thank you for these words. I thank you for the power of them. I thank you that this is the message that Jesus uh, gives repeatedly through the centuries to his children. May we embrace it today. I pray for one person listening to this message who needed to hear it, that it would warm their hearts, that it would turn their thinking to you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As I conclude, let me just recommend a book for you. Hadn't planned on saying this. I got it laying around here somewhere, but I'm not going to go and find it right now. And you may be aware of it. The book is titled Gentle and Lowly. Gentle and Lowly. The author is Dane, D-A-N-E, Ortland, O-R-T-L-U-N-D. Some of you listening are probably already familiar with it. It's become a bestseller. And Dane Ortland has taken these three verses and written a whole book on them. My sermon is different than what his book says. I wasn't preaching from one of his chapters, but it will reinforce this message. If you're interested in going deeper on this, that's a good place to start. Get Dane Ortland's book, Gentle and Lowly, and you will find yourself immeasurably blessed. Thank you so much for listening and for the privilege of coming to you today.